0: Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. For more information visit kevinconnor.org Okay for our teaching session tonight let's open up to Genesis chapter 3. I think uh, the area that we're going to cover tonight and uh, next week we'll take up some more of this chapter and then follow into the next chapter but uh, let's take from we'll take from verse 14 through to the close of the chapter Genesis chapter 3 and verses 14 through to 24 and the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return." And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make them coats of skin, and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And the Lord bless his word to our hearts tonight. The theme that we're going to take up, and as uh, we've mentioned so many times here, uh, Genesis is the seed book of the Bible, and the seeds that the Holy Spirit plants in this book are just watered through Exodus and, and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and so forth, right through the whole uh, biblical revelation. And so the seed that we're going to take up tonight is, is particularly found in verse 24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now last week we particularly covered the, uh, the uh, order in creation, the order in the fall and then we finished with the six successive steps of Satan undermining the word of God to bring about the fall and as I said last week to get the man and the woman off of the ground of faith and obedience onto the ground of unbelief and disobedience. And uh, it must have been very, uh, uh, though the fall did not catch God asleep and God foreknew it, I still believe that there must have been a tremendous sorrow in the heart of God as he looked at this beautiful man and this beautiful woman, this sinless man and this sinless woman, and saw what his arch enemy, that fallen angel who brought about the fall of angels, now come to earth and ruin the vessel that clay vessel that was a vessel meant to be unto honor, that vessel, the first Adam and his bride becomes marred in the hands of the potter. And so now he has to turn around and make it again a vessel that would be unto honor And, and now it's not just through creation but it's through a new creation through the plan of redemption. So there must have been a tremendous sorrow in the heart of God. Now, as we see in the previous chapters, which, uh, previous verses, which we didn't read, we see how the presence of the Lord, if you'd just like to glance sort of verse 8 onwards there, uh, how the presence of the Lord came, uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, and then God called to Adam, said, Where art thou? Adam is full of fear. Sin produces fear. And uh, he hid himself from the presence of the Lord. God asked particular questions about who who told him he was naked and have you eaten of the tree. And the whole purpose in that briefly is that uh, God wanted Adam to confess his sin. Personally, I believe, as uh, we see from the Scripture, that when God created the man and the woman, that they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. And uh, my own personal belief is that uh, Adam and Eve were clothed with a garment of light. The Bible tells us in Psalm 104 verses 1 and 2 that God himself covers himself with light a garment of light and uh, what what sort of clothing are we going to have in eternity we're going to have a glorified body a body like unto the body of the Lord Jesus a body clothed with light well light is pure it's transparent and so I believe that uh, when Adam and Eve sinned uh, and came into the kingdom of darkness they lost that garment of light and became conscious of their nakedness and this very interesting thing we were mentioning, mentioning in uh, 2 class on this that the um, only creature that has to wear artificial clothing is man every other creature, bird or beast they're born with their clothes on they grow their own clothes wouldn't it be good if we could do that and <laughs> uh, put a lot of people out of business the rag merchants um But the you know the birds the birds grow their feathers and sheep grow their wool and 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 goats grow hair and everything all all other animals grow their own clothing they're born with it and they grow it Uh, we are the only ones that are born naked and we go out naked and we have to have artificial clothing and it'd just be so great if God would let us grow our own clothes wouldn't it Uh, so uh, when a person dies he becomes a naked spirit the Bible says and. Paul says I don't want to be unclothed I don't want to become a naked spirit I want to receive my clothing which is from heaven so I believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes a second time that uh, the redeemed will uh, get a body like Adam had but much more glorious it'll be a glorified body of light, and that will be our eternal covering uh, the covering of our redeemed spirit now we see here that uh, in verse 7 particularly just sort of leading up to our theme a little bit here uh, the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And so uh, Mr. and Mrs. Adam, they get into the fig leaf bikini shop there, and uh, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Uh, have you ever ever wondered what Isaiah 64, verse 6, uh, without turning to this because of what, we, what else we want to get to, Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf. Have you ever thought, what's the connection in that? Well, here Adam and Eve, they're conscious of their nakedness. making this, they're conscious that they are not suitable, suitably covered in the presence of God. So they want to run and hide themselves from this presence of the Lord. And they want to do something to make themselves acceptable. And so a guilty conscience, the law of conscience, has uh, its sort of been a chain of reaction. Uh, they've violated the law of God, and now the law of sin has entered into them. The law of sin has triggered off the law of conscience, and a guilty conscience is smiting them, so it drives into uh, operation the law of works. We've got to do something to make ourselves acceptable to God. So they sew these fig leaves together and uh, make their little bikini suits, as I said, trying to make themselves acceptable to God, an acceptable covering. And uh, those pig leaves symbolize a self-made covering, a self-made righteousness. Man trying to make himself righteous and trying to make himself acceptable to God. And I think it's very, very uh, appropriate that the prophet says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fatally because once the sun came out, it would have withered those leaves up and, and that, that would have been it. They would have had to get another suit. So they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. They're full of fear. Uh, they lack of acceptance, self-acceptance. They don't feel God accepts them. Uh, they don't accept one another. They don't accept themselves. They try to do something to make themselves acceptable. And, uh, and that thing has just carried on right on through the human race, hasn't it? Trying to do something. Well, when God came on the scene and, and asked them to confess it, you'll notice the uh, sort of chain reaction that we have here. First of all, uh, when God says, Have you eaten of the tree which uh, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And so the first thing the man does, he says, he sort of tries to blame God. The the woman you gave me. I I was all right till I woke up and found myself married. And he sort of tries to pass the buck on to God, the woman you gave me. I never had any problem with the animals or the monkeys or the baboons or the apes never but the woman you gave me so it sort of blames God and then uh, uh, secondly he blames the woman the woman she gave me to eat and then when God turned to the woman and and said to the woman what have you done the woman blamed the devil Uh, and that's always the way That's human nature that shows we're all veritable sons of Adam we either blame God or we blame our wife or we blame our husband or we blame the devil (laughs) none of them would confess it we always pass the buck How many sons of Adam are here? You may as well put up both hands because I know you're all like me. I see this in my kids. Well, they've improved a little bit. (laughs) But everyone blames the other person, see? And so as uh, Bill Gothard says in his seminar, what are they doing? They're trying to balance out the guilt and the blame here. See, so they're just loaded with guilt and they're trying to ease the guilt off, and So they're trying to ease the guilt by blaming God or blaming each other or blaming the devil and you know that's human nature everybody blames god everybody blames the other fellow everybody wants to blame the devil instead of say, lord i did it that's it well now as we see here the result was that uh, they became totally depraved in spirit soul and body and that's uh, a vast subject in itself i want to sort of uh, touch on briefly the fourfold judgment here as we sort of just want to lead into this uh, theme uh, as we headed for in verse 24 I want to give you the fourfold judgment that we have here the first uh, judgment I'll just put it on the board just for a moment the first judgment we have is in verse 14 to 15 where God puts judgment on the serpent and he puts an irrevocable curse upon him and he says the serpent, the Lord God said unto the serpent, and remember that behind the snake is the snake, behind the serpent is the serpent, so he's not just talking about snakes I believe, though they are the most fitting symbol in nature of the devil Uh, he's talking to the serpent that all serpent the devil, which we're told of in Revelation chapter 12 uh, that all serpent the devil Satan, so he puts an irrevocable curse upon him he says, because thou hast done this Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Then he gives the messianic promise and we're going to pick up this a little bit next week on the two seed lines there a little bit. Uh, So uh, an irrevocable curse on the serpent. Judgment on on the serpent. No chance of reconciliation of the devil here. Just an irrevocable curse. Then the second area of judgment we have is found in verse 16 Uh, we have judgment on the woman now because there is a reversal of order of creation and now uh, order in the fall the woman taking the lead here the Lord puts this and uh, it's a judgment and I want you to listen carefully to what we're saying here Uh, judgment on the woman and the judgment consists of in verse 16 I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception Uh, in other words no longer would there be and I personally don't believe there was but had it not been through the fall uh, there would have been painless childbirth plus other things that are involved there but now he says I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou, thou shalt bring forth children and also so we have multiplied sorrow multiplied conception here and thy desire shall be to thy husband subject to thy husband the margin and he shall rule over thee. So there is a uh, a headship that is now established here, different from before the fall. Thy desire shall be subject to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Evidently, she had disobeyed the command of the Lord through Adam's lips, for he had been given the word as we dealt with last night, or last week, pardon me. Then the third area of judgment we have now is on the man. Number three, judgment on the man. This is found in verse 17 to 19. And uh, unto Adam he said, Because you've hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and has eaten of the of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, You're not to eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it was thou taken dust you are and unto dust you return now you'll notice God did not curse the man and he did not curse the woman a very important truth here God did not curse the man and the woman made in his image he put judgment and discipline on them but he did not curse the man we'll be taking up the extension of the curse next week we move on in the next chapter and link it up with this uh, so he did not curse adam and eve he cursed the serpent and then number four the fourth area of judgment we have here is we have judgment on the earth there's a curse on the serpent and there's a curse on the earth but there was not a curse on the man and the woman and that's found in uh, verses 17 to 19 which I've just read that the earth would bring forth thorns and thistles and uh, he'd sweat it out so work now becomes sweaty and hard not what it was meant to be work is not the result of sin sweat is God made man to work not live on the social security and live on my taxes. Parasite. Uh parasite. Sweat was the result of sin. Now we come to, this, so we'll just touch on briefly on that fourfold judgment. Now we come to what I refer to as the first plan, the first revelation of, of God's plan of redemption. And uh, as we go through this area tonight, which is the bulk of our session tonight, It sort of answers questions like this. um, Why was it Mr. and Mrs. Adam before the fall? How did this name Eve get in there? Because in verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve. Uh, Was Adam saved? Is Adam going to be in heaven? What about all that? Is uh, Eve going to be in heaven? Uh, What we're going to share tonight, I feel, answers questions like that. Now, let's just sort of get the scene that we've got here. And uh, I'm going to go back to verse 24 and then we're going to sort of go onwards a little bit and then come back a little bit just uh, to help what we're studying here. Verse 24 says, He drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, in this plan of redemption here, we're introduced to this theme of the cherubims and uh, I think it's very uh, significant of the chorus that we've been singing uh, lately commune with me from between the cherubim commune with me I will meet with thee from between the cherubim what are the cherubim what is God talking about who are the cherubim here what's this whole revelation that's introduced to you in seed form all right now we're going to run ahead a little bit here and uh, I'm going to sort of take something that is very self-evident and worked a little bit from that which is clear a little bit back to that which is a little bit obscure at the moment but I think that as we go through it'll help us so the theme that we're looking at is the cherubim and the plan of redemption the cherubim now as I've said Genesis is the seed book and so this is the first mention that we have of the cherubim and it's in the book of Genesis the seed and this seed is I've said so many seeds in the seed book are watered by the Holy Spirit and go right through the word of God now we're going to go to three particular structures and we'll go to two that we're more familiar with and then see what all this points to particularly in relation to the plan of redemption now years later when God chose the nation of Israel he gave them the revelation of the what we speak of as the tabernacle of Moses and in the tabernacle of Moses the cherubim feature very very much here and let's just sort of draw a, a bit of a diagram here most of us I hope are familiar with this most of us I'm sure we have the outer court with its brazen altar here the only place of bloodshed then we have the brazen laver water, washing of water then we come into the holy place and immediately before the veil we have the altar of incense and then uh, we have the golden candlestick and then the table of showbread on the north side and then within the veil we have the ark of the covenant now this whole thing is saturated with the thought of the cherubim I'll say it uh, without interpreting at the moment covering the structure here of boards were the linen curtains and in within the linen curtains were the cherubim and their wings are blue and purple and scarlet and gold in the fine linen curtains so that as the priest ministered in the holy place and in the most holy place on the day of atonement uh, they were under the shadow of the wings of the cherubim that's why many of the psalms speak of in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice in the shadow of thy wings will I trust Uh, the wings of the almighty he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty Uh, surely he will cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust so this concept of the wings of the cherubim very very uh, greatly impressed on the mind of the nation here then not only do we have it in the linen curtains here the cherubim's inwrought uh, within the veil which we have here spelt V-A-I-L in the Old Testament V E I L in the New uh, we have the cherubim inwrought in the veil here so that for the high priest to pass into the holiest of all into the very presence of God into that Shekinah glory he had to pass through the cherubim through the veil, the inward cherubim into the most holy place into the very presence of all and then when we get to this article of furniture the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant upon the, the Ark of the Covenant with this box, oblong uh, box like uh, shittim wood overlaid with gold we have the two cherubim here And their faces were to look one toward another and yet gaze towards the blood-stained mercy seat. So we have cherubim and the blood-stained mercy seat there. So this whole thing is just saturated with this thought of the cherubim and the wings. Now the next structure that we have after the uh, tabernacle of Moses is the Temple of Solomon. and it's built uh, very much on the same design as the uh, tabernacle of Moses except that it has two courts uh, upper and higher court lower court and then the temple in the middle here and then we have the ark of the covenant again that's uh, brought out of the tabernacle of Moses tabernacle of David into here and then the altar of incense and then we have 10 candlesticks 10 tables of show five on, on each side and then we have 10 brazen labors uh five on either side of the temple and then we have the great molten sea and then we have the great brazen labor very similar to this and so we have the the veil again here and then the walls of the temple uh they were ornamented with the cherubim lines palm trees and so this whole thing uh, they were saturated with this concept of the cherubim and then of course the bloodstained mercy seat and entrance within the veil and, and the four doors here, the two folding doors four doors altogether, two folding doors and the cherubim so the whole of the mind of the Hebrew nation is saturated with this concept of the cherubim now as we go back to the scene here in these verses that we've read I believe that God gives us the first tabernacle and I speak of this tabernacle here and we'll see I've sort of gone to that which is clear to work back to that which may be obscure but I refer to this as the tabernacle of Eden it's the first tabernacle before the tabernacle of Moses before the temple of Solomon which were just larger structures incorporating what was in here and more temple of Solomon incorporated this it incorporated this this incorporated this but this incorporated this and more uh, because there's a progressive revelation here so this is the scene that I believe we see in the, in, the, uh, in the Garden of Eden Tabernacle of Eden we have now that man has partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we have here the tree of eternal life The tree of eternal life in the very presence of God, and then we're told here in verse 24: So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden cherubims. Now the word "placed" here, the Hebrew word in strongs' concordance, young concordance. The word place means that he caused to tabernacle. He caused to dwell to tabernacle or to dwell his Shekinah glory. And so we have right in the very word place the first thought and first concept of the tabernacle. All right, so he caused to dwell here to tabernacle. Uh, cherubims now here we have the cherubims the first mention of them and uh, just hang on a little bit before we get into interpreting here we have cherubims it's in the plural there are at least two and then we have a flaming sword flaming fiery sword and what was the purpose of these cherubims They turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. First mention of the way. And then Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden. Now let's see what's implied here because with the tree of eternal life we have implied here the most holy place. Isn't it significant? Well, let's turn to a scripture. The most holy place Just as we have three places here, the outer court and the holy place and the most holy place, here we have the tree of eternal life in the most holy place. Uh, Let's turn to uh, a scripture in the book of Revelation a moment here and see how the book of Revelation picks up the ultimate of what began in Genesis. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 now he's writing to the first church who has left left its first love and he's calling it to return to do the first works Revelation 2 verse 4 you've left your first love not lost your first love left it many people say I've lost my first love no, left your first love you lost it you might be able to know where to find it but when you've left it and he says remember from whence thou art fallen and Adam and Eve fell from their first love repent and do the first works Ephesus itself was called the first of the cities and now to the first of the cities Ephesus that's left its first love and he calls it to return to the first works he says in verse 7 the first promise he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcomes will i give to eat of the tree of life which is where in the midst of the paradise now where is paradise what does the bible say not what tradition says where's paradise is paradise down or up does the bible say anybody know Nathan, it's up. Can you quote me the scripture? Second Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul was caught up to paradise, up to the third heaven. Now I know there's a lot of traditional teaching about paradise is down and Jesus went down to hell and down to paradise. Yeah, very difficult to find it in scripture. Paradise is downstairs, then the tree of life's been cooking with gas for a long time. <laughs> and I don't want any cooked fruit not from down there thank you amen <laughs> so that's just a good old traditional teaching that you need to root out Paul was caught up to paradise up to the third heaven now you see what we're saying see just as the tabernacle of Moses where there's three places speaks of the heavenly sanctuary in the third heaven paradise the third heaven tree of life is in paradise in the midst of the paradise of god now let's turn to revelation chapter 22 and verse 14 where it's taken up again and all pointing back to something that happened in the garden of eden revelation chapter 22 and verse 14 blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city Adam didn't do his commandments he lost the right to the tree of life and was put out of the garden now you'll notice the first promise to the first church that's left first love and is called to repent and do first works. it's given the first thing that man lost and that was the tree of eternal life to the overcomers and it's where? it's in the midst of the paradise of God so paradise the third heaven the most holy place is significant of the third heaven is significant of paradise so in the light of the biblical revelation so what I want to suggest here is that the tree of life was in the most holy place paradise man was placed in an earthly paradise then God places here to act as a veil now you see there's a veil here that nobody could dare rush into the presence of God and into that Shekinah glory they would have been blasted out when those two sons of Aaron tried to presume and take their uh, strange incense and strange fire when the glory came down and fire came out on the altar you see the connection here the glory of God came down here and fire came out from the glory and consumed upon the altar here and so these two priests presumed to go into there to see what this strange manifestation of the glory the kind of glory of God was and fire just zapped them to dare presume to enter within the veil without blood that was death and those cherubim that cherubim inward veil acted as a divider the very word uh, veil means a divider a separator so the cherubim and the veil when the high priest would see the veil and the cherubim that acts as a divider I cannot enter into the glory of God without blood and only once on the great day of atonement now here we have it back here God places cherubims and a flaming fiery sword that turned every way and Adam and Eve could come and say oh if only we could get back into the tree of eternal life we we'll are partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but if only we could eat of that but the only way I can get back to that is I've got to go through the sword and to go through the sword that means death and so the way was this is cherubim's flaming sword fiery flaming sword turning every way to keep the way to the tree of life as it was closed off here now we come down to the next seed that we have here and this is uh, by implication again We come to what i believe let's put it here what i'm saying here that within paradise as the most holy place we have the tree of eternal life then we have the cherubims and the flaming sword acting as a veil and for anybody to try and get through the cherubim and through the flaming sword to get to the tree of eternal life it would mean death the way was barred then we come to the garden itself this is the very heart of the garden Then we come to the Garden of Eden. Eden itself means Garden of Delight. It's it's the earthly paradise. The earthly shadow and type of the heavenly paradise. The Garden of Eden. And then uh, man is driven out of the garden. Driven out. He's reluctant to leave. And God placed at the east. Now here we have seeds again because this faced east. This faced east. Everything the shekinah glory comes from the east jesus comes to the middle east facing the east and so here we have this in seed form uh, cherubims in the east of the garden to keep the way to the tree of life and man is driven out he's driven out to the outer court now we asked the questions or we asked them before and i believe it's suitable to answer them now was Adam and Eve saved? Were they saved? Well, let's see what we've got here. There's two two uh, important things to note here. About uh, I personally believe that Adam and Eve were saved, and I'm saying it on on these uh, on this basis. Uh, after God pronounces the judgment on the serpent and on the on the woman and on the man and on the earth, and also gives, in the midst of the judgment, the messianic prophecy. In verse 15, which will be picked up uh, next week in connection with chapter 4, enmity between uh, thee and the woman and thy seed and her seed and so forth. Uh, In verse 20 we're told, Adam called his wife's name Eve. Now as we saw last week or the week before, it was Mr. and Mrs. Adam before the fall. Now it's Adam, not God calls his wife's name Eve, it's Adam. And Adam, when he calls his wife's name Eve, Eve means the mother of all living or living or the mother of the living one. Now what I'm saying here is this is a name of faith. Now he could have called her uh, anything, he could have called her whatever the Greek word is for Thanatos, um, death, the mother of all dying. He could have said that to Paul later on, by one woman sin into the world the Bible says by one man sin into the world because uh, all the unborn generations the seed is in the man uh, who, uh, the, the unborn generations are as yet in his loins so sin is attributed to the man by one man sin entered the world so uh, here Adam first of all names his wife in faith Eve the mother of the living one because God has said the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head," not the seed of the man the seed of the woman and the woman cannot conceive seed apart from the man so if a woman is to conceive seed here there must be a supernatural implantation of seed pointing to the virgin birth first of all so he names in faith well God sin came through the woman but God is going to bring deliverance through the woman the serpent deceived the woman but eventually the woman is going to bring forth a seed that's going to crush the serpent's head and so this is absolutely a name of faith the mother of the living one, the mother of all living, not the mother of all dying. Life would come out of her that introduced death. The woman would be the life giver. In other words, it's evident that he believed God's promise of the coming Redeemer. The next thing I want you to know is in verse 21, and I think this is the most important point of it. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the lord god make coats of skin and clothe them now though we don't have the words if anybody wants to sort of pin a guy on words we don't have the words of a lamb we don't have the word sacrifice we don't have the word bloodshed but implicit in the very expression the coats of skin we have those things we have sacrifice We have the body and blood of a victim. We have a substitutionary death. As Adam and Eve stood uh, there and God was the first one to bring about death. Adam and Eve would look at that innocent animal, and they were given the gospel there. They were given the doctrine of substitution, because they would say, "Well, God said, "In the day we sin, we'll surely die." and in dying we're going to die, and dying spiritually we'll die physically." but they had 930 years to live and so as they witnessed God take this innocent animal so here the innocent dies for the guilty and the, and the guiltless dies for the, uh, the, the guilty the, the sinless because no animal has ever sinned or can sin so God takes the sinless animal to die for the sinful and so as they witnessed that they witnessed the first gospel substitution through the body and blood of an innocent victim the doctrine of substitution Christ died in my stead that was the gospel Christ died in my stead now I want you to go over to uh, a very interesting point we'll come back to this in a moment let's turn to Leviticus chapter 7 I think it is Leviticus 7 And uh, want you to look at this verse because of a statement I want to make here, uh, Leviticus chapter seven and verse seven, "As the sin offering is, so is the trespass offering. There is one law for them. The priest that maketh the therewith shall have it. And the priest that offereth offer any man's burnt offering, even the priest shall have to himself the skin of the burnt offering which he hath offered." Now what I'm saying here is that when God shed the innocent blood of this victim here, whether it was a lamb or a goat, whatever, some innocent animal, God clothed Adam and Eve with the coats of skin. And you see in the burnt offering, all of the burnt offering was burnt on the altar. The whole thing was given to God. The only thing that man got was the coat of skin that was given to the priest. And here Adam and Eve are constituted priests. They begin the patriarchal priesthood. And so you see Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all in priestly ministry. In the patriarchal priesthood, before ever the Aaronic priesthood was given, before ever the Melchizedek priesthood was given, there was patriarchal priesthood, the head of the house. He was husband, head, father, priest, prophet, king in his role. So here they are clothed in the coats of skin now to me this is one of the greatest proofs that Adam and Eve are saved and they will be in heaven because they could have said to God listen God we don't like this blood religion this slaughterhouse religion we've got our lovely big, uh, fig leaf bikini suits look how green they are and the different shades of green aren't they pretty but to be clothed in the death of another, we don't like it. But the very fact that Adam and Eve were willing to lay aside their bloodless, fig leaf bikini suits and self-made covering and atonement, self-righteousness, that's what they symbolize, and accept a covering provided through the death of another shows that they accepted the gospel. And so as Adam and Eve went round and said, God has made us acceptable. He has provided a covering for us through the death of a substitute victim. He has made us acceptable to himself in the death of another. I'm acceptable to God where the covering is provided. And just as the fig leaves pointed to self-righteous works of man, where man tries to make himself acceptable to God, the coats of skin pointed to the righteousness, of Jesus Christ the only covering that makes any of us acceptable to God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ was provided for us through his death he's our substitute victim how many are glad for that covering provided through the death of Jesus Christ it's not a bloodless covering it costs his blood so what do we have in type here we have in type here the outer court the brazen altar And as we'll pick up next week, when Cain and Abel came to present their sacrifice to the Lord, where did they come? They came to the gate of Eden. Just as Israel later on would come to the brazen altar and to the gate and fire would come out from the glory and burn on the sacrifice here and the priest would receive the coat of skin. Then he could go into the cherubim, but not in here, only on here. Now I want you to go over to, oh, let's see... um, well, here we go. Let's go to uh, Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. Exodus um, 25. And uh, verses 10 through to 22. If you're taking down the uh, passages of Scripture, I'm not going to read it all uh exodus 25 verses 10 through to 22 we have the revelation of the mercy seat uh the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat the thing i want you to note here is verse 18 or verse 17 pardon me and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. and thou shalt make two cherubims of gold a beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat Make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And this this, uh, language to me is so beautiful. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one toward another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubim be." and you'll put the mercy seat above upon the ark and in the ark put the testimony and there will I meet with thee and commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony let's go quickly to uh, Exodus chapter um, Exodus what is it Exodus chapter 26 yes Exodus 26 And verse uh, 33. And thou shalt, uh, verse 31, uh, wait a bit, where am I? Yeah, 31, I'm sorry. Exodus 26, verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue, purple, scarlet, fine twined linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. All right, now let's pick this up and then we're going to go to the New Testament here. In this progressive revelation, so how many feel comfortable with what we've covered, that we have the tree of eternal life in the very paradise of God, the most holy place, symbolic here, and uh, the very presence in Shekinah glory, cherubims and flaming sword acting as a veil, a divider, that nobody could get back to that tree, only having to go through the sword. Then the brazen order by implication here, by sacrifice, body and blood, substitute, coats a victim, and God causing to dwell, causing to tabernacle, cherubims and the flaming sword, that's Shekinah, flaming glory. And so we have implicit here the whole of the tabernacle, which is going to be incorporated there. How many feel comfortable with what we've covered here? OK? Now, so the main thing that we've looked at here is the cherubim and the flaming sword and Adam and Eve and their salvation through substitutionary blood, but knowing that they couldn't get back to the tree of eternal life, the cherubim and the sword. Now when we get to here, it's not cherubim and a flaming sword, it's cherubim and an inward veil. We've got that. That's the next revelation, cherubim and an inward veil. Then in... The most holy place now we have a cherubim with the cherubims and the mercy seat blood-stained mercy seat here so we're progressing here first it was cherubim and a flaming sword what's the sword symbolic of cut off the s the word the sword of the word cherubim and in a flaming sword now the scene is changing we have cherubim and an inward veil we'll see the interpretation in a moment then beyond that we have cherubim and a blood-stained mercy seat so that as the cherubims and, and personally I believe a lot of expositors say that the cherubims represent the angels I, I uh, want to disagree agreeably with that because the cherubims are part of the mercy seat who is the mercy seat? angels are not part of the mercy seat once you identify the mercy seat you identify who the cherubim are and I believe the cherubim represent here symbolic of the Father and the Holy Spirit and so let's, let's look at that in, in, interpretation then. Here the two cherubim, one on one end, one on the other end, look, their faces look one toward another and yet they look toward the mercy seat. Now the angels are not part of the mercy seat because it's all to be made out of one piece of gold, one piece of gold, one God, yet fashioned into a triunity. So here I believe we have symbolized the Father and the Holy Spirit their faces looking one toward another and yet gazing with satisfaction upon a blood-stained mercy seat. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Only the Godhead are involved and one with and part of the Lord Jesus Christ as our salvation. Now how did blood get on the mercy seat? Someone has been through the sword and the blood that was shed here has been taken and sprinkled upon the mercy seat and under the mercy seat are the Ten Commandments move the mercy seat and you're exposed to administration of death and now it's cherubim and the bloodstained mercy seat same truth in here now let's go over to Hebrews chapter, um, chapter 9 and chapter 10 for our last couple of verses and see how the Apostle Paul whoever wrote Hebrews took this up uh, John chapter what's that? yes Uh, no I personally believe they were living creatures yes Uh, yes I personally believe oh I get off on little tangents here I personally believe that this cherubim represent the Godhead and eventually redeemed man and that's a pretty wild statement without proving it that I believe that I don't believe they represent angels most expositors do and that's, that's their privilege like it's my privilege isn't it I'll be kind to them if they'll be kind to me. Well, I'll be kind to them whether they're kind to me or not. <laughs> uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Listen listen to the beautiful language here. Hebrews chapter 9. Got about four minutes here. Uh, you'll see the leading verses. He's talking about the tabernacle, the candlestick, and the table of showbread and so forth, and then verse uh, 4 which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna Aaron's rod that bottom the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly that little sentence always bugs me okay I think well now Paul I'd like you to have spoken particu- particularly about that but he just sort of tantalizes. There's something there, and I just can't speak particularly about that. I'd like to, but I'd better keep on my subject. Isn't that nasty? (laughs) Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, signifying, speaking by the sign, That what? Say it all together. The way. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Now you see, the cherubims and and the flaming sword turned every way to keep the way. Man lost the way. If only we could get back and get through the way. But the sword... And so now God teaches the same truth as this, the veil, the cherubims, and everything over the shadow in the mercy seat, and only into there. And the Holy Ghost was signifying, speaking by the sign, the inward veil, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the tabernacle was standing. Now, let's put here what happened at the last moment. Matthew 27 verse 51, I'll quote it to you. Matthew 27, verse 51 and 52, I think it is. When Jesus hung on the cross the sword and his body was broken and his blood was shed, he had said to his disciples, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Adam lost the way, he lost the truth, and he lost the life. And everything we lost in Adam, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus came to be and restore. So now when Jesus died on the cross what happened? God by the power of the Holy Ghost went over to the temple and he rent the veil from top to bottom in connection with that. And now Jesus says I am the way, the truth and life. Come right into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10 Listen to the beautiful language there. Hebrews 10 and verse uh, 19 having therefore brethren boldness liberty confidence to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way the old way was there and it was a dead way but now we have a new way and a living way because it involves resurrection a living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil through the veil that is to say his flesh let's enter in Jesus has gone through the sword the evidence on the throne of God is blood and when God looks at that blood upon the throne that blood is the evidence that death has taken place and now he says okay everything you lost in Adam to him that overcomes and to him that keeps the commandments I'll give you the tree of life everything you lost there is gained that's why when you read the book of Acts many many times well not many many times I shouldn't say that but a number of times the disciples were called people of the way how many are glad for the way let's stand Father, we just thank thee once again for the privilege of being in thy presence. You've said, Lord, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We thank thee, Father, that you sent your blessed Son to be everything to us that we lost in Adam. And that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And that we are people of the way. And that tonight we can stand in thy presence with boldness and confidence and liberty. We can enter into the holiest of all, into the most holy place, by a new and living way, even the crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, and glorified Son of God. Help us to live like people of the way. Help us to live like people of the truth. Help us to live people of the life. Just pray you'll help us to feed upon this and feed our souls upon the living bread, the living word which came down from heaven. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.